And we are live. Joshua, take it away. Thank you. So this is part two of the uh, Six Remembrances. And um, remember last week, we spent a good amount of time on the first remembrance, which is remembrance of the exodus from Egypt, which seemed timely, Very since uh, we just got the, um, the Passover Seder in the midst of Passover week right now. I hope that you got a chance to have a Seder. And if you did, that you did it actually. Remember the exodus from Egypt. If you didn't, then you must have eaten some weird food and had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so um, uh, it's built to remind you of the exodus from Egypt. Um, as we talked about last week, that is the number one on the remembrance list, and it is the most important um, of all the different ones that the sages have. It is the only one that I've seen, at least, where it seems to be pretty universally um, accepted that that's one you have to remember. There are actually multiple times that it is called out for remembrance. Um, you end up, if you, depending on what prayers you do, you may end up praying it three or, uh, something about it three or four times um, or more uh, during a prayer service. So it's very important. Uh, but tonight we're going to focus on remembrances two through six, so the other five that are in the key ones. Now, of course, there are lots of things that are to be remembered in the scriptures, um, but the sages uh, have kind of whittled it down to like a top six, more or less. Um, and obviously there's some disagreement. There's some other sages who have bonus ones, but these are the ones that I think are the most um, universal. universal. Yeah. So these show up in your Siddur. Uh, and those are the ones that we'll, we're talking about now. So, um, refresher time. Who remembers what the other six remembrances are? Any help? Remember the golden calf. Remember oh. the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. Remember the Sabbath. Remember... Well, why uh, do we remember the Sabbath? Hmm? Why do we remember the Sabbath? There's a specific way. To abstain from any laborious work. Remember, did not remember Amalek, and remember yes. what happened to Mary. There we go. Got them all. And yes, to Joshua's point, why do we remember the Sabbath? Remember the Sabbath day to stay Right, to keep it holy. That's right. Good job. Um, that's like the whole verse right there. We can, we can, we can stop and go home on that one. Um, no, we won't. But um, yeah, so we're going to jump in on number two, just giving the Torah out of Sinai. What I talked about last week was my view on this. reason why, is that it's interesting that God doesn't say, remember the giving of the Torah. He doesn't even say, remember the Torah, which would make sense. Instead, he specifically highlights the experience of Mount Sinai. And I, it's my contention that the reason for this is because the goal is to maintain that level of reverence for the Torah by remembering how God gave it. That the, the thunder and the lightning and there was no form and Moses went up and a voice spoke and it gave the commandments and the people were terrified and... As, as uh, you know, this idea that we would not forget um, that feeling of awe. I mean, it's fascinating because the members of the Torah, giving the Torah at Mount Sinai, was told to people who weren't there. Mm -hmm. At least a large portion of them. And the ones who were there would have been children. So the idea is um, he's telling us to remember something that we didn't experience, but it's supposed to be such a, a, a narrative that's part of our lives that we talk about it so much, we, we discuss what it looked like so much that you feel like you were there. Um, I mean, think about like, you know, we talked about last week, there's a number of things in this country that we kind of almost, you could kind of feel like you were there. You know, I've heard lots of stories from people talking about watching the moon landing or, you know, where were you when JFK was shot? Or I even, my grandfather, uh, my step-grandfather, uh, he actually gave, told stories of sitting on his, uh, his roof, just chilling out there in Hawaii watching the Japanese planes fly over going to Pearl Harbor. Um, and so just, I mean, you can visualize it. You know, you get that, because there's, there's all this other awe and, and emotional um, angst or feeling that comes with that. And that's what we should have with the giving of Torah Mount Sinai. Angst? Not angst. Oh, okay. Well, maybe a little bit. More, more fear, awe. So let, me, uh, let me throw a wrench here. Uh-oh. And see, no, no, see if it fits. Okay. Um, If we are to commanded to remember the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, to your point, right? Then one has to <clears throat> recognize the difference between remembering the Torah to the way it was given. Yes. Right. So we're looking at the way <coughs> that it was given mm -hmm. and all that that encompassed. Mm -hmm. 
And I just wonder if, if you're focused on that and you're remembering that, and you're remembering the lightning and the thunder and the sounds and the trumpet struck that gets louder and louder and louder, and you know, and then Acts chapter 2 happens. Mm If I think if you weren't commanded to remember that, then well, I mean, let's be honest. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have recognized. Wait a minute. We saw this before. What, then it, you you grew up in the church, so did I. I read Acts two probably ten, twenty, thirty times before all of a sudden the light bulb went off, and it's like, wait a minute, this is like Exodus. Yes, because you and I were not raised to, to remember, remember right? what how the Torah right. was given. Absolutely. But once we came into this movement. And we're reminded, hey, remember how the Torah was given? And you immediately go back and go, Oh, and have me the same day. That's cool. Wow. Not only the same stuff happened, but the same day. Wow. Right. So, right. Um, good, good point. I, I, would, I would go so far as to say, if that were the only reason that we were commanded to remember how it was given, I can see how it would validate sure. honor and so forth. The, the 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 giving of the spirit, if you will, I don't, I don't absolutely, know. Valid and, thing, and, but, and yeah. no, yeah, yeah, and the giving the spirit in the context of really ultimately being a validation of the followers of Yeshua and, right. the, and right. the teachings of Yeshua and the movement that would be the the followers of Yeshua. Mm-hmm. You know that stamp from God of approval, saying this is this is my beloved son. You know, do whatever he says, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, I think to your point. Uh, I am a firm believer that there are many interpretations to what God does in Scripture. I believe that there is, of course, the, the surface level, which is the one that's correct and true. But I think that he puts these layers in there on purpose, and there's nothing wrong with digging for them. And you were talking earlier about Rabbi Foreman, and yeah. um, he comes with some very interesting stuff sometimes. And I think that... But when it's in the Midrash, it's actually better. Well, but... <laughs> you know, it's right. It's, it's good. But even if it's right? not, even if it's not, I think that there's... I think it's a legitimate way of looking at it. If nothing else, it causes you to think about it. Absolutely. That's healthy. Absolutely. So I love that interpretation. It's a good view, looking at the, the parallel between them and the importance of remember it all the time. And of course, if they remember it all the time, in the first century, Bing. they'd be seeing it happen and go, I know this. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like you... Uh, it's like when you watch, a, you know, a, a, a movie that's... Um, those of you who are Star Wars nuts, if you watched uh, the first the first trilogy way back in the day, and then you started watching some of the most recent films, you probably could pick out all the little similarities because the director did a number of homages to the original movies in the new ones on purpose, right. um, almost to the point of like I think I've seen this movie before, but um, on purpose specifically because he's trying to get you to go. Oh, I know this, and to feel all the feelings you felt the first time, but almost kind of like like you're in on the secret kind of thing. Anyway, so but let's talk a little bit more about what God specifically said about why we're remembering the uh, giving of the Torah Mount Sinai. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter four. So Deuteronomy chapter De- Deuteronomy hosts most of these <coughs> passages. If you look up the, the remembrance verses, five out of the six are in the book of Deuteronomy. Not surprising. This is the second telling. By Moses, Deuteronomy, meaning second law, um, he is specifically retelling what happened to these new generation about to go into the land of Israel. So, chapter four, verses nine through twenty. Who has that? Go ahead. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before Adonai your God at Horeb? The Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then Adonai spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And I commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going to possess, that you are going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that I spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, 
unless you act corruptly by making a by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. Beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them, and serve them, the things that Adonai your God has allotted to all the peoples under the heaven. But Adonai has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Mitzurim, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. So a couple things. First off, thank you very much, Joshua. The end of that passage, um, go back to the Exodus from Egypt. So, you know, if you, if you didn't remember how important it is, we're going to talk about it a lot, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, but then also, the other thing, too, in um, if you look at this passage, in he highlights a couple things. One, uh, let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me. He then begins to describe all the different experiences of the mountain. What are, what are some of these things? What, what do we got here? <clears throat> well, the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. That's pretty cool. Wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Wow, that's also pretty cool. No voice, but no form. No voice, no form. So God has a dual, a dual focus here. <clears throat> One, he's going to make you fear him by remembering the awe, the, the, the terror, really, of this experience. That This is God speaking to us. <coughs> but two, he has a very powerful image of no image. You, you, like it, it really, if you think about it, what's the sin that's happening right after this? Golden, golden calf. calf. And what do they call the golden calf? God. Not just a god. The god. The god. The god. Took, us out of Egypt. took us out of Egypt. Thank you, Mr. Martin. Absolutely. So they referred to him by the name of the god. So they, they kind of lost the point very quickly, but that was exactly what God was trying to prevent. It's not enough to simply, uh, you know, not you know, not go follow the Hindu god. God also didn't want them to make an image of him because there is no image. He wanted them to accept him for who he is, uh, how he describes himself, not to try to put God into their own box to fit their own ends, to be their own uh, deity that they could kind of control. So by, 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 by being imageless, <coughs> he emphasizes forever. There's nothing to see here. There's no image. You don't know what the image is. You don't need an image. You just have to hear a voice. Everything comes down to the voice, the words that God spoke. That's what you're going to remember. Out of the fire. Out of the fire. The experience around God, this is important, I think, because if you see throughout the scriptures, God regularly enshrouds himself in things we can see. He understands we're visual people. You go read the book of Ezekiel, you see all sorts of angels and other crazy creatures. There's even imagery that's associated with God to kind of give some kind of um, a vision of sorts. But Paul makes it very clear that God is invisible. And even though God obviously, you know, puts on human flesh as, as Yeshua Mashiach, again, this is what I'm looking for. This is not, that's not what God looks like. Let's just put it that way. That may be an image that God can wield. But the idea that somehow you can put together a statue or a picture of who God is, that's not how he represents himself. Not really. <coughs> not all the time. Um, and God, and that's important because I think that at some level that, that, that lack of image prevents us from really putting him in our own definition, our own box. Our own box, yeah. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, you, every time you saw a picture of Jesus in your Sunday school book, not only did that give an image, which I don't think is entirely bad, but oh, I mean... Blonde hair, blue eyes, sure. But it also carried with it all sorts of... Exactly right. All yeah. sorts of uh, 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 connotations, right? He's European. He's soft and gentle. Possibly a little effeminate. Whatever it might be. You know, or maybe if... you know, He looks like you. He looks like you. Or, you know, he looks like the Fabio version of you. Whatever it might be. The point is that, um, wow, I can't even use that reference. Most people don't know who I'm talking about. He looks like a supermodel. The point is that um, it carried with it all of these other associations to help you redefine him. Yeah. The, the, the one that gets me in this, in this uh, description 
is the voice coming out of the fire. It's hard to come up with an image of somebody when all you, all you see is fire. But you can tell that the person that's talking to you is in the fire. I can hear his voice coming out of the fire. That's, that'll get your attention. Oh, yeah. And it was meant to be that. Yeah. And to pass on. So that is remembrance of the Exodus, uh, sorry, remembrance of the giving a tour of Mount Sinai. So the next one is to remember Amalek's attack. Um, and to start off with that, I think the easiest thing to do here is let's go read the story of Amalek. What, what exactly happened? Um, you're supposed to remember the Amalek's attack. I might as well read the attack. So Exodus chapter 17. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate, to, I hate to, to back up. Oh, go ahead. Just real quick. Sure. I only have five. Five remembrances? Yeah, I missed one. Exodus so I've got the Egypt. golden calf, I've got the giving of the Torah, I've got Miriam, Amalek, and the Sabbath. What, what do I miss? Exodus from Egypt? The Exodus from Egypt. That was last week's lesson. Yeah, well, okay, so there it is. So I was just doing the... Which you did really well putting up very quickly, so if you missed last week's lesson, you can listen to it on the podcast. There it if is. If you've already yes. forgotten it, you can also do that. Um, uh, Exodus 17. Boom. Verse 8. Not, not that you've forgotten it, but if you have. Exodus, um, how many did who do what? 17. Exodus. We're in verse 8. So those of you who um, might remember, this is post-parting of the Red Sea. It's pretty awesome. There's some water that they find that they, um, you know, they, uh, they, get, they get the rock, the water comes out of the rock. A lot of spiritual highs here. Things are going very well. And then verse 8 happens. Read that for us. Verses 8 through the end of the chapter, actually. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moshe said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Yehoshua did as Moshe told him and fought with Amalek. While Moshe, Ahron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moshe held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moshe's hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aharon and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. Those hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Yehoshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then Adonai said to Moshe, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Yehoshua that I will utterly block, blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moshe built an altar and called the name of it Adonai... Uh, what is that? Nisi. Nisi, thank you. Adonai Nisi. Saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Adonai will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So the interesting thing about this passage, um, to me, is the remembrance that we're told is, remember, remember Amalek's attack, which is an interesting thing, because to your point, um, your sons are very good at this, Mr. Martin, remember that we're supposed to forget Amalek, um, because the passage, this passage says, remember, remember, as a memorial, I will surely obliterate the remembrance of Amalek beneath the heavens. So the long-term goal, God's going to wipe them out, he's going to finish them off. But oddly enough, until then, we're meant to keep remembering the attack specifically. Um, there's a couple of reasons, I think, for that. And uh, the, the biggest thing to me is, if you read the sage's commentary um, about verse 16, it says they're a hand on the throne of the eternal. There's a couple of different ways to look at it. One is this is a promise from God. His hand on the throne, meaning he's swearing that I'm going to um, a war against Amalek generation to generation. The other interpretation is the hand of the throne refers to Amalek. And the idea behind this is that Amalek, um, it says he did not fear God. Well, the, the idea is that he attacked Israel in an effort to undermine the fear of God in the entire world. That his purpose, Israel, as we just said, is coming off this spiritual high. All this success, everything's going great. Amalek attacks. And Amalek's intent is not just to simply attack Israel or thinking they're vulnerable, but specifically it was to knock the luster 
off of this divine image that Israel had received. If you read the Exodus story, read the Song of the Sea, you see in that, in that passage, all these different countries are terrified. Oh my goodness. I mean, Egypt, Egypt was the superpower of the day. They, they were the United States of the ancient world, and their army was obliterated after their country and their economy was taken down by this unseen force. A bunch of slaves marched out free, and the ocean collapsed on their pursuers. So the Canaanites and all their friends are absolutely horrified. In fact, it's so traumatic to them that 40 years later, People like Rahab and Jericho are going, well, we heard about that. <clears throat> I mean, if you look at the ages of different people, Rahab probably wasn't even alive when the Red Sea happened. That's right. But she knew the story. So the point being that, that there's this awe of the people of Israel because of God's protection. And Amalek's goal, according to sages, is to remove that. His goal is to show that Israel is vulnerable and as a result to imply that God is incapable of protecting them. Um, two things. One, uh, the scripture specifically says that after Egypt's been, Amalek is top shelf among nations. They're number one. Mm -hmm. Deuteronomy 25 talks about more specifically what they did. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as they came, as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint mm -hmm. and weary mm -hmm. and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Right. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget, which is the opposite of what we just read in Exodus, right. which says that he will not forget. Right. Mm -hmm. so, right. Right. There Absolutely. Good. Thank you for reading that. And that's and that is exactly right. He did not fear God. He attacked the weak ones, which I think is really particularly nefarious. I mean, not only is his, his goal to knock the luster off of God, so to speak, but he doesn't even have, he doesn't even be man enough to, like, take him on, on the front. He tries to, you know, steal off some at the back. This is the first terrorist, so to speak, mm. yeah. um, at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not surprising that Israel, even to this day, considers Amalek as a term to refer to their arch enemy. Um, a few years ago, there was an article that, that called Iran Amalek. Um, which actually, if you think about it, may not be so far off. There was a very, very famous man in what was what is now today Iran, was then Persia, who was Herman. of Amalek, the Agagite from mm -hmm. King Agag from Amalek, mm -hmm. um, and Haman, and he he sought to destroy the people of Israel again. So, um, but it's more than just the uh, anti-Semitism and the genocide and so forth. I think the reason why God focuses on the attack of Amalek is he did not fear God. Amalek represents the opposite of what we should be. And I think that the, the, uh, if we are meant to bring glory to God and to show the world what God can do, Amalek is the spirit that is opposing that. It is making effort to undermine God's image in this world. So our jobs, remembering Amalek's attack, is you don't want to be with him. Right. You don't want to be on his side. And I thought that Rabbi Mike had a great point talking about Haman. He said Haman cast lots. Because in the world of Amalek, there are two forces at play. Neither of them are God. The first one is random chance. chance yeah. Anything happens, and that's what's going to happen. The second one is fate. Once the die is cast, the lots are cast. Well, now it's settled. Mm -hmm. It can't be undone. Which is ironic. You think those forces are kind of opposing each other. But actually, if you think about a lot of your secular friends or movies or TV shows, it's exactly the way that this oftentimes parallels. The two forces of the universe are random chance and then some sort of weird destiny that's some sort of, uh, you know... That you can't fix. That you can't change. Um, and as a result, what does that leave you with? It leaves you paralyzed. Yeah. No hope. Everything just happens to you. Not your fault. It's fatalism. Yeah, but, it ex but in the worst extreme, because it's not even like a personalized fatalism. It's a fatalism that doesn't care. Right. Whereas, what does the people of Israel do? The people of Israel believe in God, who changes their fate, and as a result, they actually name the holiday after the, the, the Purim, the, the lots. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. So the point is, uh, that was a great point of Rabbi Mike, this, this conflicting forces. And I think that's important. I, I, <coughs> when I read this passage... Um, when I pray in the morning, it reminds me of my personal Amalek. I, I think there are things in my life, sins in my life, that I want to work out. And this passage is a remembrance 
that my job now as a believer, as someone who has my my eternity secured, my place in the land, so 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 to speak, my job is to wipe out the memory of the things that do not fear God. Hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that that's the reason for the remembrance. I think you are literally supposed to remember Amalek, but that's just how I tend to personalize it myself. So the, the first two that we've gone over tonight then are the two sides of the same coin then, really. The, the, the reverence and awe of God and then the exact opposite of someone who had reverence and awe for God, none, and what happened to them. Right. Absolutely. That's a great point. And if you think about it, um, the result to Amalek is also something I think we're supposed to remember. I mean, that's the second stanza of the, of the Shema covers all of the different penalties for, or capsize them, it encapsulates them small, briefly, but it addresses the penalties for failing to obey God. Because it's important to remember this too. Um, the sages teach that any motivation to do good <laughs> is okay. There's some that are better, but if, you, if you're worst case, you're only doing what's right because you're trying to avoid punishment. Right, right. That's an okay place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so the third, the third uh, that was the third reverence. Oh, go ahead. Jump in. 257 times. We shall fear God. There we go. But Amalek didn't. But Amalek didn't, right? Don't be him. So the next one, remember the sin of the golden calf. Um, what's interesting about the sin of the golden calf is, well, actually, I'm going to start. I'm just going to ask, why do you think we have to remember the sin of the golden calf? As to not make that mistake ever again and to learn from that mistake. That's sure. great. I love it. It's a good, it's a good idea. I would question the first one. How often are you getting in front of a kiln and must have a whole mess of gold? Well, don't throw certain, you know, spells and whatnot into the fire. That, that, that you know, the golden calf coming out. Yeah, I'm say, yeah, it just came out, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm not, you know, completely disagreeing with your saying, but I think I would, I would rephrase the first one, that we need to be careful that what they did, the outcome of what they did, to, to make a representation of God, to, you know, to come up with something new, um, to not be patient and, and think that God is, and his emissaries are not there or are delayed and will never come back or something like that. That's a problem, mm-hmm. right? So we need to, to recognize that, you know, it, it's, it's not like uh, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. No, no, no. No, maybe, maybe you should cut yourselves. No, no, scream more or something. Maybe God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's busy, you know? Maybe he forgot about you for it. That's not our God. No. That's, I think that's where the, the, the golden cat thing comes from. To the point of taking it into your own hands. Yes. It's, well, I, yeah, can, I, I can, can make God. Right. What? Or this isn't turning out the way that we had expected it to. <laughs> right. Therefore. Well, let me see if I can fix this. We, yes. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to throw my own wrench into this conversation mm-hmm. and just say, wait a minute. I thought, having grown up in the church, that guilt and regret are bad things. Why would we want to remember the sin we did before? I mean, you know, God doesn't remember. That's cast into the sea. As far as the east is from the west. I thought that we're supposed to forgive ourselves. So, so how does that fit with this? And I thought that Paul said something about forgetting what lies behind you know, press so on. Press on. Now, to what lies ahead? First off, I just want to start off by saying that's totally out of context. <laughs> Go read Philippians chapter three, and you'll see that what he's forgetting, what lies behind, actually has more to do with the good things he did, <coughs> not with the bad. His point is to say, keep moving forward, right. looking towards the goal, and not getting caught up in whatever has happened already, which is actually kind of straight out of Ecclesiastes. You go read that book. Um, but then also, interestingly enough, Paul to his own, has his own remembrances of some of his mistakes. Um, before we get into, I think, the, the focus of Deuteronomy, I want to go to some of what Paul has to say, because I think this kind of parallels a little bit. Um, and so let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 10. What are we doing, Schmedley? You got it? You must have it, right? First Corinthians? 
Fifteen nine. No. No. Well, we'll wait for you. Go ahead. Do you know where it is? It's yeah. Towards the back, right? Which fifteen is nine? What? It's fifteen. It's fifteen nine. Oh, fifteen. Fifteen nine to ten. You got it now? Yeah. Go for it. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the on the contrary I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Excellent. Um, and then first Timothy one, fifteen through sixteen. You move it slow, is it because it's tiny? It must be because it's tiny. <laughs> 15 through 16. 15 through 16, yep. Yeah. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ, I mean, that Messiah Yeshua came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this, that in me, as the foremost Yeshua Messiah, I might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So why is Paul remembering, so to speak, the bad things that he's done <coughs> to the extent that he actually gave himself some, some pretty tough labels? Kind of, you know, the worst of all, the foremost of sinners, the least of all the apostles. What is he trying to get at? Because the, the, the straw man you set up in the, in the beginning is completely false. That, that we should remember from whence we have fallen, as Revelation of John says, lest we forget our first love and understand that God loved us before we loved him, mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that while we were yet sinners, Paul says in Ephesians, Messiah died for us. The, the fact that we have sinned only brings glory to the fact that our master chose even still to lay down his life on our behalf. So you might say that highlights the forgiveness of God and the power of repentance. Amen. You can't mm -hmm. understand the power of God, of repentance, without understanding the depths of our sin yeah, and how good. far from God that's we great. were. I love it. And in fact, the sages do too. And there you go. So it turns out, uh, reading the um, Chabad website, they had some commentary, this whole discussion of the sin of the golden calf. Really interesting. I encourage you to find and read it. But they had a really cool quote from Sefer Hasichot 5752. Um, I know that probably is not in your notes, so but that's okay. Or Sechot. Hasichot. H-A-S-I-C-H-O-T. What does that mean? Well, you ponder that. Yes. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It was a decree of the king in order, talking about the sin of the gold cap, a decree of the king in order to provide a way out for penitence. If the sinner will say, I cannot repent, for I will not be accepted, we say to him, go out and learn from the affair with the calf in which the Israelites denied God's existence, yet their repentance was accepted. In other words, the sin of the golden calf, one of the reasons to remember it is ironically enough not to remember the sin in the sense of we're focusing on the sin, but to remember the forgiveness of the sin and the repentance of the people of Israel afterwards. Right. So in that regard, I think we understand a little bit this dichotomy between not living in regret, as we learned in the church for all these years, but at the same time, not forgetting where we came from. Because where you remember where you came from, it's not meant to be focused on you. Right, right. That's but, not supposed to be a pity I'm party. But you are because of what God has now done. Right. Amen. Well, how did you get here? Because of God. Amen. That's the focus. And if you lose track of that, well, yeah, that is bad. And that's exactly what um, some of the other uh, teachers in Judaism, I think it's Rabbi Nachman, the Breslovers, they tend to have this idea that you shouldn't beat you down on yourself. Right. And the reason is not because, you know, self-esteem is healthy by itself or whatever, or any psychological uh, whatever stuff you hear today. It's, it's the reason is because if you get too discouraged, you won't have the energy to do anything. Mm -hmm. And you don't know what this looks like, Go find a three-year-old in the midst of a room that's full of toys and tell them to start cleaning up. They'll throw themselves on the floor exhausted because they don't even know where to start. On the other hand, if you give them energy and, and momentum and start helping them and giving them 
like a vision for how to get through it, there's, they, they have now all of a sudden the ability to do it. And I think that's the reason why we should be not focused so much on our own failings. But if you think about your failings, to remember the mercy and goodness of God and the power of repentance, especially think about the worst thing that you've done, well, not everything else. It's like, well, I can get out of this. I can repent from this. God will forgive me for this. True. There's, there's hope. That's the goal. And if you go to Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 9, we get both of these. Um, this actually, sorry, sorry, that and then also one other thing. So we're in Deuteronomy chapter 9. We're going to bounce around a little bit because... Um, so I'm actually going to start from towards the end. We're going to go backwards a little bit. So that's... So if you're going to chapter 9, let's go to verse 16. <coughs> I think it's 16. I'm going to look. Yeah, 16. 16 through... Let's go through 19. Let's just read through 19. And I saw that you had indeed sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourselves a molten calf, and you had turned aside quickly from the way which I and I had commanded you. I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. I fell down before Adonai as at the first forty days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin and what you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of Adonai to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which Adonai was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But Adonai listened to me that time also. See that? You get the repentance and the forgiveness element there? Um, but there is a second reason. And this is actually also taught by the breast lovers. <laughs> and that is, sometimes it's good to remember where you came from when you're feeling a little too good about where you are. Start thinking of yourself too highly. A little self-check there. Yeah. Think to myself, wow, I am a really good person. I do this, <coughs> this, that, and the other. You start sounding like Haman as you list up all of your accomplishments. That's probably a good time to go, where did I come from? Um, because humility is, is a virtue. And Deuteronomy knows this too. So let's, let's go backwards a little bit in this passage. Let's go back to verse 4. Um, I was going to say 6. 4 is good. Let's go back to verse 4. Um, and let's read up through, let's just read up through 8. That's probably a good place to stop. You got that, Shmedlin? Um, Deuteronomy 9. That little Deuteronomy tiny nine. thing there? 4 through 8. What bottom do you have? Through I'm sorry? Do you have the excess? Do you have the excess? The iPhone XS? 10S? Yeah. I do have the 10S. Thank you. Excess. Come on. OS 10. It's a 10S. But if you have anything less than a 10, then it does seem like excess. Did you, you got it on that little tiny thing there? Until when? 4 3 8. Four, three, eight. <coughs> Do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven them out before you. Because of my righteousness, Adonai has brought me into has brought me in to possess his land. <laughs> but it is because of the wickedness of those nations that Adonai is disposing them before mm -hmm. you. It is not your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess your land, but it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Adonai, your God, is driving them out before you in order to confirm the earth, which Adonai swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that Adonai, your God, is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked Adonai your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day you left the land of Mitzrayim until you arrived at this place you have been rebellious against Adonai. Even at Horeb you provoked Adonai to wrath. And Adonai was so angry with you that he would have destroyed you. So, again, it's a heat check. Sometimes you have to just realize where you really came from. And that all the good things that you have, as, as we read over and over again from Paul, is a gift from God. Right, and Paul goes further and says, you know, anything I do good, and it's, it's filthy rags, compared right. to the righteousness that I get from, from the side. Right, and if you think about it, this passage kind of hints at that as well. You've got this verse here that says, not because of the righteousness of you, right, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations, and in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers. And I think it's very important because... 
what God ultimately is saying here is it's not because of you. Right. You got in because I made a promise. Right. Which means two things. One, it means you can't think too highly of yourself. And it also means, two, that you're never too far away. Because it's not about you. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier. When we think about the things we did wrong, the focus should not be us. The focus should be on, on God. When we think about us, it should only be a reminder how much we need God and how great it is that God has us where we are now. Anything other than that is probably false humility and could be dangerous. On the flip side, if you forget where you came from, that also is dangerous because you start to think you can do it without God. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm reminded of the Rechabites. Those are the guys that were uh, tempted by the prophet to drink wine. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, no, we can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? I'm telling you, go ahead. And they said, well, no, we can't do that because we promised our father. Actually, I think it was our father's father. We wouldn't do that. And, and I think we marvel at that. Wow, well, you know, a couple of generations deep, and they're still, you know, go team, right? And yet God is many generations later saying, it ain't about you, baby. Mm -hmm. I made a promise to your forefathers. Mm -hmm. That's why we're doing this. It really doesn't have anything to do with you. Mm -hmm. To me, you know, that's like somebody showing up at your door and saying, I met your dad. Actually, I knew your dad's dad. And he asked me to come by. Your kid. Really? That's mm -hmm. shocking. But there's also security here, I think it's also important. I mean, I think the problem, if you rely on the promise of God, it's kind of like, you know, in my marriage, we have vows to each other, my wife and I. And that means that if I bring take it to trash one day, she's not going to be gone, you know, when I get up the next morning. Because we had a promise to each other. So that means that when we have an argument, or we have a problem, or we have something to work out, or we have a disagreement, or her personality or my personality don't quite line up, there's freedom to work on that. Because we're not afraid of either of us saying, oh, I give up, I can't do this anymore. We rely on that promise we made <coughs> to each other that gives us the security to be able to, to not worry about the small stuff, so to speak. That's what makes the Passover, the whole exodus, so important. Right? It's not, it's not just, I made a promise to your fathers, to your father's fathers, two, three, four hundred years ago that I would bring you out of this land and bring you into that land because I gave that land to them. It's not just that. It's that I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. Mm -hmm. So the same confidence that the fathers had the children can have as well. Mm -hmm. It's, hey, we, you know, it's a family thing. You're in the family. I'm here. I'm your God. So that same confidence that you have in your wife is the same confidence we can have in God. More so, mm -hmm. because it's multi-generational. It Plus really he, is extraordinary. Mm -hmm. yeah. Plus he's God, not yeah. just your wife. Right. Well, my wife is amazing. But yes. yes. He's not <laughs> but, compared but to not stepping up to God yet. Um, so, uh, you got a guy here. Oh, yes, sir. Go ahead. So, on the multum, what did you say? Generational? Multi generational faithfulness? Yes. So, well, on that, it's kind of you have a guarantee or a securement that you are going to be brought out of Mitzrayim. And once you have, you don't realize. This is, this is a great benefit of being an Israelite, being a Hebrew. It's something that you have to live up to, not just, hmm, this is great, I'm getting all this stuff. It, it, it should be, this is great, I need to live up to this. I need to kind of try and show that hmm. I am worthy of all this stuff that God has given me, that I am, well, being benefited with all this other stuff and all these promises, the land, the Torah, all that stuff, it's benefit, but something as a privilege that you need to live up to. Mm -hmm. yeah, you certainly demonstrating gratefulness yes. right. for, for the choice. Credit what you're saying, Josiah, is that 
God's demonstration of his faithfulness should motivate us yes. to want to live in a manner that he wants us to live. Or as, as someone else has also said, um, is it worthy of your calling? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's Paul's, Paul's mm-hmm. language, but yes, absolutely. So to, to be inspiring. And I think that's what I'm saying. It's, it's so fascinating. I love the story of the, um, the uh, looking at the golden calf, not as this just this dark moment in our history where we failed, but looking at it also as, well, out of that, there is hope for all of us. And I think that it, it's, not, it's not a mistake that the immediate passages that follow the golden calf of Moses' pleading for mercy become the, the very system of how we ask for forgiveness. If you go to prayers of Yom Kippur or any of the fast days, you will pray the passage that God speaks to Moses of his own attributes over and over and over. God's attributes. God talks about his own attributes. Compassionate, gracious, giving, slow to anger, so on and so forth. There's there's 13. goes through them all. And you'll say them over and over and over again in a prayer day. Why? In fact, the sages didn't make that up. Moses did the same thing. He heard God say this back in Exodus. A little while later, one of the other times the people of Israel messed up, he's throwing those out again. He's like, that worked last time, we're going to go with that one again. So the point is that... You, you don't want to kill him because you're, you're gracious. He's compassionate. You're compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. So my point being that we actually learned how to repent and how to be forgiven out of what should have, what should have been the worst moment in our history. Hmm. I mean, I, I was writing, I, I wish I could remember the exact reference right now off the top of my head, but there was a fascinating reference from, I think from the Talmud, um, or Midrash is a story, uh, they kind of tell of Cain and Adam meeting each other after Cain kills Abel. And Adam says, so how did your judgment go? And Cain says, well, I... I, I acknowledged my sin, I, I repented, and we used to compromise. Because the sages say that the, uh, the original judgment from God, you'll be a wanderer, is later mitigated by, instead he puts the seal on whatever else, and he's allowed to, he's allowed to kind of go build a new city. You've got to leave, it's exile, but you don't have to wander forever. But he's got the sun. He's got the sun. And Adam, this is the, in the Midrash, it says Adam smacks himself in the forehead, and is like, ah, oh, if only I know the power of repentance. And it's like, and, and to think about that, you know, we look at Cain <coughs> as the first murderer, as the epitome of the worst that what human humanity can be. And yet, the sages look at that story and they go, wow, look at the power of repentance. So I hope that we would do the same. Um, when we see our own failings, as well as the failings of, of, the, of the people of Israel in, in the scriptures, it shouldn't just be a, a look what they did, or what can we learn from them? Because I think it's a very good lesson. You're right, Josiah. Paul talks about this. They're examples for us. But it also should be inspiration to say, well, if David could repent and be forgiven for committing same adultery. Way, same way as Cain. And then him, also murder, ultimately, um, indirectly. Right. Um, if, if, you know, Peter can be forgiven and, re- and accepted and given an opportunity to serve Messiah after denying him three times in public. And set up the Roman church. Yeah. Well, that came after. We don't know if we got to that one. Um, but yeah, the point being that if, uh, if those things can happen, then there is hope for me. And the things that I do wrong. This should not be a carte blanche. It's not like, well, I can do whatever I want. I mean, they got away with it. That's not the point. God, that, that was the fear, of, the fear of God, Amalek thing we talked about earlier. That You don't want to be on that side. Because God's promised what happens to them. But those who repent, there's an opportunity for forgiveness and a reacceptance. And a, as God talks about in the prophets, you know, for, um, erasing the years of the locust of Eden. You get a chance to start over. And God does forget the sin. And even though we remember our own sin, it's not to beat ourselves up about it. It's to remember the mercy of God. Amen. So, um, go ahead. I was just saying, in all the years of being in the church, I don't think I ever heard the story of the golden calf position as a story of repentance and restoration. I agree. You know? Yeah. 
But that's exactly to your point. What God, the reason that God put behind this as a as a remember and why we have to remember it exactly. Well, yeah. Otherwise, if it's what we were taught, why would you want to remember? It? Right. Oh, it's right. A complete failing. Yeah, complete failing. Yeah, that's. Good. So really, think about it. The the goal, the goal of the cap, is basically to to make it not about you. You don't. It helps us be humble. Remember our own sin. But also for the mercy of God, and that's why we're here. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. The reference um, from Paul. Can't hear you. What's that? <clears throat> the reference from Paul, I believe, is in Ephesians 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner of Adonai, implore you to walk in a way manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all, humi all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance and <coughs> for one another in love. Very good. Excellent. Um, so, with that, I think that I'm going to buy you another week. Uh, and we can cover the last two remembrances. That's, that's and true. a bonus remembrance that we'll go over later, but it's a mystery one. A bonus uh -oh. remembrance. Um, <laughs> are there six? Are there seven? Anyway, um, we'll talk about that, uh, I think, further next week. So, um, so we got Miriam and the Sabbath? Miriam and the Sabbath, the last two of the traditional six. Um, and then the bonus. And then I've I've got one the to throw in there. Um, like it. Although there are some other ones too, and we could maybe talk about some other cool ones to remember just generically that are outside the six. Um, but yeah, thank you all very much. I appreciate it. Nice Mr. Martin, please nice prayer. Sure. Father, it seems that our faith is all built around uh, things you want us to remember uh, because you want them to impact our lives and things that you want us to pass along to our children uh, so that they can, their lives can be just as active and so that they can then pass along to their children. And we had an excellent uh, example of that in our Passover Seders just this past weekend. Father, we pray that we would keep these things in mind and that they would impact our lives in a manner that is pleasing to you. We pray, Father, you would uh, bless our families. In the name of Yeshua, our risen Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Joshua.